0: yeah, friggin' guy. Welcome to the show, Spit. Uh, David Lee Scales and Scott Bass with you. It's June thirtieth. It's a Tuesday. We missed last week, David, and I apologize. I had a health issue, but things are better. And um, thanks for your patience out there in listener land. People were freaking out. Yeah, people thought.
1: People thought cancel culture ended Spit's seven-year reign.
0: It'll never happen.
1: It'll never happen. Um, Well, I'm glad to see that you're feeling better. You're back in the water, so all is well. That's good.
0: Yeah. Did you surf today?
1: No, I did not.
0: Oh. Did you? Yeah, the waves are pretty good. There's some south swell. Yeah, there's some fun waves for sure. Good. Um, I have a number of things that we need to catch up on from our
1: previous shows. Um, Feedback of things that we've gotten right, things that we've gotten wrong. I called the WSL Kooks last time for, uh, while we were recording our show, somebody sent me a note. They posted a photo of somebody they identified as Stephanie Gilmore. The whole post was advertising a new, a new book that was out uh, featuring female surfers, and one of the main photos was listed and credited as Stephanie Gilmore, but it was a goofy footer getting shacked on a right. I'm like, dude, this is such a kook move. This is a seven-time world champ from the WSL that they've mislabeled. Well, um, I couldn't identify who the surfer was. I had never seen this surfer before. A number of people wrote in to say that the woman on the cover of that book is Amy Koch. My son and I had an opportunity to uh, to go on a surf trip a year ago to the Maldives. The surf house and photo team is managed by Richard and Amy Koch. Besides from being a very hospitable couple, they both rip. I remember being blown away by Amy surfing, thinking she could easily contend with the very best female WSL surfers, including my favorite, Stephanie Gilmore. As I recall, I think she grew up in San Diego or maybe Oceanside, but she definitely deserves the cover credit because she rips. I went on to kind of learn more about her or look up more about her she absolutely not only rips, but charges. So, um, I don't know how she's kind of escaped my awareness until now, but shout out to Amy Koch for earning the cover of that, that book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's funny when you were reading that email, I was thinking what a cool thing for her and her husband to just kind of live the dream, you know, go to the Maldives, open up a whatever it is, bed and breakfast or whatever it is, some sort of surf resort, surf perfect waves in the Maldives and and greet new friends as they come to your place. And basically they're kind of living the dream, you know? I thought about that too, because I clicked
1: around both of their Instagram accounts and they're raising kids now. They're both really fit. They're clearly doing what they love, meeting people from around the world. Um, I fantasize about alternative lives all the time, kind of just seeing how other people do it. Could you do that? That specific
0: life, do you think you could do? Well, here's the thing about your question is that it. a lot of people think, oh, I just can't do that because it's a complete change in who I am and my life and everything. And that's a silly way to look at it because the answer to your question is, yeah, I'll go do that for three years and see yeah. how it goes. And after three years, if I don't dig it, I can come back, you know, like this concept that it's like, I can't do it because it's just going to change everything around me. And I mean, it's, that's what holds people back, you know, like go do it for two years. Find out if you like it. You might love it. You might hate it. Who cares? Come back. Time flies. Live your life. Carpe diem. Yeah, you nailed it. That's my
1: thought too, after all was, I think that I've lived up until this point thinking that things were more permanent than they were and i've had realizations over the last few years that that are similar to what you just stated basically it things aren't permanent and a, a decade of your life seems like an eternity before it happens but when you look back at the last decade it goes by in a flash you're an entirely different person than you were a decade ago you had these long story arcs in that decade that decades made up of many different story arcs and so it feels like a huge permanent commitment when you embark on something like that but in the end if you don't like it you're better for it you still have more life experience you're more worldly because you committed to something huge so yeah whether or not i like my thought of their specific lifestyle is that i would get bored of it i need a little bit more um more options, I guess, is what it would be. It's hard to say that you'd get bored of surfing perfect barreling waves all the time, but look, it's equatorial, it's hot, you're, you know, kind of eating the same food repeatedly, all that sort of stuff.
0: <laughs> so I think I'd get bored of that after a couple of years. If you wouldn't? Well, I mean, I'm just shaking my head at you because it's like, what's wrong with being warm? First of all, I eat the same friggin' burrito every day for the past 30 years here anyway. It's not like my diet's like this like robust international cuisine, you know what I mean? Mine is. I'm having a friggin' carne asada burrito three times a day for 15 Dude, they, years. Yeah, but Amazon's not going to ship you your Instapot my, in the mall. Guys. No, my point is, is that whatever I'm eating, I'm eating. Like I'm not, you know, like you said, oh, they're eating the same food every day. Well, I'm eating the same food every day here, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah and it, yeah. and I'm cold right now. I'd love to be warm. I love the equatorial climate. I think that's awesome. And oh, by the way, you know, you're on this beautiful island in the Maldives with super fun, killer waves. There's probably a lot of wind. I bet we would learn to sailboard or kite, kiteboard. Um, And yeah, would maybe you get bored? I don't know. I mean, I, I see it as more, um, you know, the whole concept of boredom, like why are people afraid of it? First of all, what is boredom? Think about it. Like, why are we afraid of boredom? Boredom is just sitting quietly with yourself. Mm -hmm. Sounds like meditation. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I find it interesting that people are afraid of boredom. Yep. I'm not afraid of it, but, uh,
1: there's so much to do that.
0: That you don't want to go do it.
1: (laughs) I'm just saying, go do it. No, 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 no. I do do it. Um, I can't, I don't have enough time in the day to do all the things that I want to do, but I agree with you and I agree, Amy and Richard are killing it. So I'm actually jealous of them. Um, I've got another follow-up. Remember you were asking me about the ultimate surfer? Yes. Not, not the the show that the WSL is doing, but you were asking about like when history reflects back, who will they view as the archetypal surfer? Right. And we're trying to decide between, is it Spicoli? Is it Laird Hamilton? Um, a listener chimed in with probably the best answer of all. He said, is the ultimate surfer, Rick Kane. He came from nothing, stood up to the gnarliest localism, toyed with pro surfing and ended up becoming a soul surfer. He's what historians will remember when they look back.
0: Yeah, that's a good email. And and it makes sense because I mean, there's, you know, obviously the films out there, so it's going to be in archives forever, probably. So, um, I I got into this with Matt Warshaw a little bit back and forth on email and um and just like you and I spoke, I kind of secretly wanted it to be Spicoli so that mm-hmm. they get it wrong. You know, so yeah, that they get it totally. wrong. Anyway. Totally.
1: Yeah. Well, I thought I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't even think of Rick Kane. He's not in my pantheon of who I think of as surfers, but I like it.
0: Yeah. I've got an email. Yeah, let's hear. Let me start off by saying I love the show. Keeps me entertained, up to date in the world of surfing here in Wales, the United Kingdom. David, we reach a broad and global audience. In your recent podcast, you guys mentioned a possible end to the WSL due to the shit show that is this year COVID nineteen. I, for one, love the WSL and would be sad to see it go. In the UK, people pay ridiculous amounts of money to keep up with their choice of sports. Maybe it's time for the fans of the WSL to pay a subscription. We all pay monthly numerous subscriptions for stuff we barely watch. I would happily pay five pounds a month and watch my bit of surf escapism. Also, they could do another option of a huge surf fantasy league that you buy into that could offer all sorts of prizes. Uh, yours truly chrissy poo the average mid-length surfer and i think he's on to something there which is this idea that they i don't think they have sort of actualized or um, maximized revenue opportunities with fantasy surfer but anyway thanks for your email chris
1: um what are your thoughts on paying per view absolutely it would do it me too We've talked about this a lot over the years. We've actually suggested that the WSL do it as they've struggled to find a business model, uh, like a viable business model, a profitable business model. I'm sure you've seen the rumors um, about the WSL being up for sale currently.
0: Yeah, I actually got um, a direct message from somebody in Australia who's like, hey, I've got a reliable source that's saying that the WSL is up for sale. And then of course, like the next day, Long Tom wrote a really good piece on Beach Grid about this rumor. And I'm sure it's, so it seems like what's interesting here is that the rumor manifest and started in Australia because my source came from Australia. Long Tom is from Australia. That's kind of interesting to me, right? That why would this rumor, if in fact it's true, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Why would the rumor come from coming from two different places, both those places being in Australia? Anyway, um, I'll let you riff on this a little bit. What are your thoughts of this rumor? If If it is true and it did come from Australia,
1: that would make me think that the buyer or one of the potential buyers is in Australia. And, you know, it's a pretty small, if you're going to invest, no matter what you're going to invest in and no matter what size the investment is, you better know the space that you're investing in. And it's a pretty small space. And we're all in media and we're, we have friends who work at the highest level of all the various brands. And so whoever the potential buyer is, is going to know media players and brand executives who are all of us and our friends. So it's not a very far leap for that rumor to start making its rounds and especially if the buyer decides not to proceed with the purchase then of course they're going to discuss it with their friends you know i could see if they were going to proceed with it then maybe they hold it close to their vest and by the way maybe they have been holding it close to their vest for the last 6 months and it's only getting out now um so the fact that it comes from australia just indicates that maybe that's where one of the buyers is one thing that Long Tom mentioned that I think is actually pretty true is there's very few buyers for this. In fact, I mean, it's hard to even think of who would be a buyer at $150 million knowing that the WSL bought it from the ASP for $0. So they basically just took over something for free, lost money on it for a number of years... I would like to know what are the assets of the current, you know, uh, WSL that you can stake $150 million valuation on? What has accrued in that level of time that you can stake that valuation on?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's just the content that they've created. And of course, the trademarks and um, you know. The, I guess the history, you know, the database of history, But that stuff's all out in the public domain. It's not like you couldn't use it. But I agree with you. And that is really kind of what he wrote that, look, who would it be? And he throws out Kelly Slater. He's like, could it be, would Kelly Slater buy the WSL? No, they would just give it to him or he would just do his own thing. Why would he even want to? I agree. But I'm just saying like, that was one of the few names that were thrown out in long Tom's article. I I mean, I guess you could throw Kelly's name out in any surf article and
1: try to create some ref. relevance to what you're talking about but kelly slater is only a businessman insofar that he makes investments into the space but he's not a professional you know what i mean like he's not a running tours like this if dirk ziff's bankroll and hiring execs from other sporting industries to come in and rework this thing didn't work who can make it work yeah, well, I mean, it's a losing. Bit. They've never made money on the thing, and they hired the best. They have an unlimited bankroll, hiring quote, you know, the best, presumably the best people in each of their sp- fields to come in, and and
0: it's still a losing business venture. Yeah, what's Kelly going to be able to add to it? Well, absolutely nothing, and and you're right, and and really, that's kind of what Long Tom was saying. It was like, look, at the end of the day, the if if the way this plays out, if in fact it was to play out. Would be, it would just organically go back to the people. In other words, Australians would have their little permits, Hawaiians would have their little permits, Californians would have their little permits. It would probably foment for about four or five or six years and just kind of fester until, and we, and you know, all these little events happen and it's all just sort of like ragtag and hodgepodge. And maybe there's a world champion somehow. I don't know. Who cares? And in fact, That's sort of my takeaway from this. And you spoke to this a couple of weeks ago and long Tom speaks to this too. But my biggest takeaway here is that, you know, the tour has been gone for three or four months or whatever it's, it is. We've been weaned from the heroin, man. We've kicked this thing. We spent a hard three months without the cravings are now gone. I'm kind of over it. Like, I don't really care. And and my surfing experience, your surfing experience, the world's surfing experience, look, millions of people have gone surfing in the last couple of days. Our experience has nothing to do with pro- professional surfing. We could not care less. I never thought about it when I was in the water. I didn't wax up and think about, you know, Idolo Ferrara. I didn't wonder if I'm going to surf. I, I didn't just pro surfing. And in fact, it, even when pro surfing occurs, it rarely enters into my headspace. So I'm over this thing. Now, it doesn't mean if it came back, I wouldn't, you know, chop up a line and snort it. (laughs) Who knows? But I feel like we've been weaned from the addiction. I completely agree with you.
1: I thought that it was a lot more important to my life than it turns out to be. You know, if you told me at the beginning of the year, hey, we're not going to have a tour this year, I would have been upset about that. But with hindsight, looking back, I'm not upset about it at all. I don't really miss it. I loved pipeline this last year. I love when things like that happen. I like having it it on when I'm going to a work day, knowing that they're going to run an event while I'm at work and I can open it up on my phone and watch it while I'm working. I love having
0: it, but without it, my life is no, it's no less rich. So let me ask you this. If there was no Instagram vlogs or no, um, quote unquote pro surfers dropping clips either like on their vlog or in Instagram or wherever they distribute their content. Would this be as an easy addiction to drop as pro surfing? No, the fact that we have access
1: to surfing at our fingertips all day, every day quells a lot of that
0: addiction. For sure. But I'm saying if the Instagram vlogs were gone, if the clips were gone, okay. w- would you be okay with that too? Like, I, I guess what I'm saying is, okay, no. th- what is pro surfing now? And your answer is, well, pro surfing is these guys that drop clips on Instagram. That's really what it ends up being. If there's no tour and you call yeah, yourself I mean, well, a pro that's always cover.
1: That's been a part of pro surfing. Um, I don't always make the distinction when we talk about it, but there obviously is professional contest surfing and there's professional free surfing. Right. So that's been a part of surfing as a professional since probably the 90s when Tom Kern went on the search. But yeah, if moving, so if that went away as away well, yes, if that went away as well, then I'd, then I'd need magazines again. We'd have to revert back to magazines. I do need a fix. I need to watch surfing, and I need to know what's going on in the greater world of surfing. But it doesn't have to be contest surfing, huh? So I—I I don't know. I feel like I might have mentioned it. Um, I've been going through all of these. I kept a bunch of magazines from my teenage years—surf magazines. So I've been sorting through it. I've been having the moral, you know, dilemma of whether or not to throw these away or to continue lugging them around or whatever. Scott's saying, "Get rid of it, cut bait." Um, well, before I throw them away, I've been thumbing through them, and they're they're wonderful for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons that they're different from the in the '90s, early 2000s, than they are today is that it is a um, I don't know. It's a very, it's the genesis of our culture. I, I mean, I guess it's not because it's reflecting what's happening out in surfing, but it's a more accurate, um, reflection of the culture. It is setting the tone of the culture. It's telling you which clothes or I,
0: I don't know. What are you shaking your head about? Well, this concept of the genesis of the culture is fascinating. What really is the genesis of the culture? I don't think it's the magazines. I think the genesis of the surfing culture is the craftsman, the board builder, the shaper, the glassers, the laminators, and these factories where these boards are built. This is the genesis. Think back, you know, and I mean, we're getting into my mission statement for the boardroom here, but if you think back to the beginnings of Polynesian surfing, you know, how did the culture start there? Well, I saw this guy riding a wave from frigging canoes, castles, all the way into, you know, canoes, and I'm like, hey Make me a board. So as a young Polynesian, I trotted up to the guy and I said, hey, I'd like a board. And he said, no problem. Meet me here. And we went to this place and he chopped down a koa tree and he shaped me a board. My point is that's the genesis of the culture is the building of the board, man. It comes down to the board and the stories that revolve around the craftsmen. I was talking to a guy in the water today about um, the guy Paul, um, uh, Bald- I think it's Baldari. Anyway, this guy, was like the mainstay at GNS here in San Diego, the factory forever. He basically ran the factory, you know, like he's like the only guy that Skip Fry would even let touch his boards. This is the kind of guy that, and these these guys are everywhere. These craftsmen are everywhere. They're all around us right now. The Tim Stamps of the world. These are the guys that are the, the pillars of our culture.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. So I guess what I meant to say is that the magazine's, were the direct uh, reflection of the culture. The magazines had writers and photographers that were in the water, on the beach every day, ordering boards, all that, and it was reflecting and emanating through the magazines. And at that time, where the magazines were, kind of had people on the ground all over the world, you were able to get this once a month thing that was a coalescing of all around the world and the people who had actually gone on surf trips, you know, all in these this one kind of... uh, hit and now they're not that anymore and the more direct hit is the instagram feed because there's everybody around the world uploading instantaneously so you could see not only who's shaping what in which bay but who's writing it that next day and how that design is evolving you know watching torn martin on those designs and seeing how they adjust those daily and then how then Ryan Sakel is taking what he's learned from watching that and doing it for you. And then you're posting, you know, so all of that is the direct feed now is in our hands. And so I guess I'm, I'm not even sure where I'm taking this back to. Well, let me I mean, ask maybe you this. As, as I, it reflects my question, WSL and the contests my don't qu-
0: really have. Yeah, go. Well, my question to you to kind of help sharpen your vision here is, if we don't have professional surfing competitions anymore, that side of pro surfing is gone. And we're saying that pro surfing now exists on our phone. I suggest to you that the term professional surfer is no longer needed. We can come up with a different term. Like, like there's no such thing as pro surfing anymore. And by the way, that's okay. I, I'm not even trying to shoehorn
1: the term pro surfer into the conversation because if you make a living getting paid to surf, then you're a pro surfer. If you can figure out how to do that on YouTube, great. If you can figure out how to do it through videos or on Instagram, that's fine too. I'm saying the Instagram experience or social media experience is more replacing the magazine oh, than well, it of is. Course. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm just wondering if the concept of, of what it means to be a professional surfer, um, you know, the, I guess the term pro surfer, I'm just wondering if it's going to evolve, you know, like, if it a, already
1: has for if, sure. If
0: a guy, I know, but I'm just wondering if we, if it's, if it's literally going to leave our lexicon, like why do we need the term? Well, if you, when you're
1: filling out your customs form, when you're traveling internationally and the reason why you're going there is because you're surfing and somebody's going to pay you for surfing, then I you, mean, might, aren't we all you might fill out pro surfer.
0: Maybe we're all professional surfers. I post a ton of stuff on my Instagram account. Yeah, but you're not getting paid for surfing. You're getting paid for holding
1: a trade show to honor the craftsman. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't know. I guess the reality is even as I reflect back at those magazines and think about that era of my surf life, when I think about last year in the CT, it's kind of culmination of their final event, potentially ever being at pipeline with the number one and number two surfer ending in the final in pumping surf. And I think about now, Now is just as good as any of those times, maybe even better. I have more access to content. I have more access to equipment and every variety of equipment. I have access to surfing waves in the ocean or in the desert. I have access to everything. Like I'm I'm happier now and more fulfilled than I ever was in any of those other times.
0: Yeah. And we often speak about, you know, Chris Morrow had this thesis out there that without pro surfing, we don't evolve um, as far as um, where we go with our, with the equipment and what we do on the waves. And, and are we going to not evolve because there's no more longer a pro surfing circuit. And I think within the paradigm of the magazine that you spoke about earlier, there might've been some truth to that. You know, it was sort of this, just one single channel, you know, photographers took photos of the guys on the North shore. Then they printed those photos in the magazines and you and I digested it. And, and it just seemed like the single channel, it, it sort of made sense that we needed pro surfing to evolve, But gosh, now with just, you know, the digital age, there's just so much information here. I think that we're evolving, you know, without pro surfing. I don't think we're going to lose, you know. The last time we talked about that, the argument that I made
1: is that I think Chris got it exactly wrong in that the professional tour hindered growth and development. Growth and development could have happened like an acid trip without it and gone off on a million different directions. Yeah. And been expand mind expanding. Yeah. And instead it got pigeonholed into being this one thing that they refined to a very sharp point, but in only one direction. And in reality, it could have gone a
0: million different ways and been a million sharp points. You know? Yeah. I think Tom Wagner once said, What you know, wouldn't it be neat if if instead of Everyone sort of evolving to Tom Blake's fin that he put on the board. If we all just stuck with the hot curl, like where would we be now? If we just all surfed finless, you know, like that was the way that our contemporaries just, or the contemporaries at the time decided to, to move. Like they all liked that feeling more than the feeling of a fin to turn off of, which kind of doesn't make sense. But anyway, that's what you're getting at. I have an
1: interesting, this is kind of a perfect dovetail. Somebody else sent me a note. I think it was an email. It was about surf personalities. And it says, whether they're real or contrived, genuine or manufactured, we're all probably living through one of the best times with regard to uh, surfing personalities. They're collectively compelling and enigmatic. Take a look at this list below and tell me that I'm wrong. Mason Ho pipe shredding, rock hopping style master who is almost as good narrating from behind the camera as he is in front of it. Harry Bryant, best bowl cut since Lloyd Christmas. He can do anything on a wave. (laughs) Nathan Fletcher, tried to kill AI, former charger, named his kid after a science experiment and he still shreds. Billy Kemper, four-time Jaws champion and a family man. Idolo, most stoked world champion ever, 110% on every freaking wave. Dane Reynolds, lo fi cool, trying very hard to not sell any clothes, <laughs> still rips despite having a dad bod and chronically sleep deprived. Kelly Slater, where do I even start? Jamie O'Brien, bona fide pipe legend, the jackass of surfing, marketing guru, vlog pioneer. Ben Gravy, the everyman surfer, better than many, not as good as some. Laird Hamilton, demigod, descended from Mount Olympus, still charges, also has a fake hip, uh, pulls leashes with the best of them. Josh Kerr and Sierra Kerr might end up being the best father-daughter surf combo ever. Gabriel Medina, legit Instagram star, star, sickest armpit, I'm sorry, slickest armpits and chest in the biz. Hobgoods, heart on a platter, good old boys, holy roller, um oh that's it for that one. Ryan Birch, best surfer shaper ever. Question mark. Carissa Moore, the mother Teresa of Surfing. Stephanie Gilmore, the lady die of surfing. Joel Tudor, angriest logger since Mickey Dora, outspoken critic of Kelly Slater and basically everybody. He went on to list a ton. I just kind of gave you the highlights, and then he even said, "I'm missing some others," but you get the point. There's more everywhere. Matt from Santa Cruz. PS, love the pod.
0: Yeah, that was a great email. I got that too, and I, I have it in my notes. I was going to read it as well. It's, but I mean, it's a perfect dovetail to what we're talking about. It is. It really is. There's what, what tons of content. I know. And I look at that list, and I'm like, yeah, I would love for somebody to sort of excavate more about Joel Tudor or Andy Nieblis or, or um, you know any number of these guys, Noah Dean, Dane Reynolds, can't get enough of, um, Elo can't get enough of. So yeah. And and in some ways it sort of also speaks to long Tom's article where he sort of says, Elo, where's the content, man? Like, look at this list. Like there there's a lot of, of good stuff here that could be excavated. And who's to say that they haven't or aren't doing that now. And we're going to see it in a little bit. I, by the way, sent a, a text to Elo that before we went on the air about an hour ago, basically saying, hey, we're about to go live here in an hour. Do you got any news? Because you and I both know that tomorrow is supposed to be a PR drop from the World Surf League. And I know uh, I can speak for you when I say we're sort of waited with, waiting here with bated breath, hoping something, of, uh, something we can sink our teeth into comes out of this July 1 press release.
1: I'm expecting nothing from it, to be honest. Um, so we know through... You know, whatever rumor, but substantiated rumor, they're starting to film The Ultimate Surfer next month. Yeah, at Surf Ranch. Yeah, in Lamar. Yeah, um, that's all they got, dude. That's all they got. They got that. They've got Lawn Patrol, and they've got un- the unboxing series that they're doing. But it is an absolute crime that Jamie O'Brien and Ben Gravy and Koa Rothman are putting out better content than the WS and Mason Ho putting out better content than the WSL weekly, weekly, and just banging it out with a ragtag crew, non-professionals on a shoestring budget. And the WSL that is a media company has not been able to give us anything that's nearly on par with any of that
0: stuff. By the way, it's an embarrassment. How beautiful is Cola Rothman's girlfriend? I haven't seen her. I, there's been, oh, speaking of which, I don't want to jump ahead. I'll just wait on that. But um. <laughs> <laughs> feel free; we can come back. Well, my Duke is Jack Robinson, right? For he married some Brazilian bombshell supermodel himself. So these young surfers are just reeling in the beautiful women.
1: Uh, so let's talk about Jack Robo real quick.
0: Yeah, I
1: mean he is. If I could pin all my hopes and dreams on one surfer to kind of be the next something, it's Jack Robinson. I love everything about him. I love the way he surfs. He charges massive waves, does crazy airs, has the sickest style, um, humble, mild mannered. He's got the green o haircut that he's rocked since he was a kid. Like <laughs> there's nothing not to love about him. And I, while I agree with you that, young love is infectious and you never want to say a bad word about it. You want to be fully supportive. I still, in general, I'm um, against people getting married in their early twenties. Like I don't think it's a prudent move to get married in your early twenties, no matter who you are and how in love you are.
0: You sound like a boomer, man.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, boomer. am I right? You go boomer. You're the true boomer. I'm what are actually, your thoughts I'm on actually
0: it? not a boomer. I'm right on the edge. Like we look, what are up. you? I don't know. I think I'm Gen X or something. That's hard to believe. Based on my date of birth. But uh, here's what I think. I think 2020, you and I, we can come to an agreement. I think our listeners can come to an agreement. In my opinion, Jack Robinson is the 2020 world champion. I don't give a shit if there was no competitions. This guy's the world champion. Let's just give him the title. 2020. What do you say, David? Um, Sure. I'm going to go with you because I want to hear where you're going with this. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying. if, <laughs> if there, was, You and I were like, that was the one thing we were kind of looking forward to. I mean, there was many things if there was a WSL 2020 season. The one thing was we just wanted to see Jack Robinson blow minds like we know he's capable of doing. Since there is no tour, let's just say, hey, I got married to a Brazilian supermodel and made the most of it. Let's give him the title. I like that he made the most of it. I like
1: that, look, you got some downtime and they've been dating for a couple of years now. And she's been a, from what I understand from the outside uh, or just maybe from the sideline with certain data points along the way is Jack Robinson's underdeveloping his potential, you know, because he was a young superstar who everybody expected to be on tour by the time he was 18. Part of his underdeveloping or unfulfilling his potential was his father. His father has been a little problematic, a little too much of a um, what a, you know the sideline terrible soccer dad who's shouting at the at the referee the entire game. And so, this girl in Rabo's life has given him an opportunity to kind of withdraw from his dad, get some distance, and she's been a great replacement. Whatever. Yeah. That's great. Great stabilizing, great stabilizing thing in Jack's life. So I think that's all great. However, I don't know. I feel like getting married at that, you change so much from your early twenties onward that it's almost guaranteed, it's very, very rare that two people grow together considering all of their changes that you're going to go through in the next decade of your life. It's very rare that two people grow together during that time. And so the complications of those things, those developments can actually derail Jack from his pro surfing ambitions. That's what I worry about.
0: Yeah. I think that's valid. I mean, look, you know, I have 20 something kids. My wife and I are always saying, Hey, you know, Don't even think about it until, as you mentioned, David, you know, you're in your, you know, I don't want to say thirties, but your upper twenties into your thirties, you know, go sow some wild oats, go do what you got to do. Go travel around the world. Just do whatever it is. But getting married at 22, it's kind of a long shot. It's a risky move, man. It is. It's really risky. Uh, Congratulations to Jack Robinson and his new bride. He's my duke. (laughs) He's my Duke, and he's the 2020 world champion, according to us. Uh, all, the really yeah. all the best. I really do wish them all the best. I, no, so do I. So do he's I. He's
1: a great guy. Um, by the way, did you say that Eric Logan didn't reply to your text yet, or was there an end to that conversation? No,
0: he hasn't. He's not replying. He's one that uh, okay. he's one that replies right away, and if he doesn't reply, you're not going to hear from him.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I presume he's a busy guy. Yeah. Um.
0: So what else? Olympic surfing was saved by the International Olympic Committee. Fernando Aguirre, the head of uh, basically the guy who's who's driven the whole surfing into the Olympics movement, um, had this to say. It became very clear, again, quoting Fernando. It became very clear when the pandemic came that the International Surfing Association was not going to survive without financial support. This is what he told Inside the Games which I guess is some sort of newsletter for the Olympic Games. Yep. I continue here from Fernando. The support from the International Olympic Committee came not a moment too soon. It was needed and we made a very good presentation for it. We're the first federation to receive this financial compensation. And it shows in the Olympic family, surfing and the ISA are seen as credible and bringing enormous value to the Olympic Games. So that's the end of his quote. There is a new date for surfing's Olympic debut, July 26th through August 4th, 2021. Olympic surfing might be the only international surfing that we see in 2021. Um, that, this is uh, coming from me here, in my opinion. Um, and of course, they go on to say, blah, 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 unprecedented celebration of unity and solidarity, a symbol of hope and blah, blah, blah. I do agree with Fernando that it seems like the uh, international Olympic committee is like, Hey, this is one sport we need to keep around here. We're, we're, we are kind of pinning our hopes on this, this sort of new age of youth and youth sport. So the Olympic,
1: the IOC, uh, sent a cash infusion.
0: Yes. Do
1: you have any idea where that, what is the money even for? Like what, what is Fernando re- running that costs money
0: who knows. I mean I maybe
1: I mean is it little like cuz I have friends uh who are involved in it I should actually I should have asked them but it's like they're going to Japan every few months um to work out like I know uh Chris Gallagher's on the or Chris Stone is on the payroll right Brett Simpson's on the payroll various judges are on the payroll and they're going to Japan periodically to work out the judging format, the contest format, all that sort of stuff. I mean, they've been working on that for a year. So is it literally those flights and those people's salaries that. those uh, yeah, people's look,
0: Hotels that are. It's a ton of administrative stuff. It's keeping the offices open. It's keeping the administrators paid. It's it's keeping everybody going. It's just keeping the thing going. I mean, the I th- imagine their revenue streams were from all of these competitions that they would constantly have. I mean, there was just, there's just like a never ending flow of ISA competition results, you know? And, there, and then there's all these, you know, bodies, all these nation states that probably have to send money to keep their ISA affiliation current all of this stuff just got put on hold, you know? And so they're like waving the flag. We need money because we're not getting revenue from our normal, you know, back channels. Right.
1: Yeah. It's crazy to think of uh, how thankless Fernando's job is. And it's been a long time since I've even heard him. I mean, he was pushing for the Olympics thing, you know, for a decade, let's say, and pretty vocal about it for a while. And it's been a while since I've read some of that stuff to hear where, why his heart is in it. But think that level of organization that you just described would eliminate all of my interests. Like (laughs) even if I had some grand idea of, Hey, I'd like surfing to be in the Olympics so that X, Y, and Z happen for future generations. Once you explained all of that administration to me, I'd go, Hey, I don't really care that much. (laughs) And Fernando's been quietly doing those hard yards and probably funding a lot of it, to be honest himself. Yeah. Um, Which is insane to me. Why does he care that much?
0: The guy's driven. He's sort of a he's a driven special character. And um, as I've mentioned many times, we would not have surfing in the Olympics if it wasn't for Fernando. No, this guy's. But why does
1: he care that much?
0: I don't know. You know, I, I I'd hate to throw out some unsubstantiated theory on why that is, but. He's driven. He wants to see surfing in the Olympics. And, and it's sort of a bummer that, I mean, this guy really, I would say probably the last 15 years, maybe. And it was all coming to a head. His dream was about to become a reality. And then this COVID-19 pandemic, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not biased. It takes us all down. Jeez. I mean, if that doesn't
1: Uh, damage your morale. Like you said, at 15 years and all of that hard work. And right when you're at the finish line, (laughs) the finish line gets moved, you know, five years into the future or who knows how long, like that's, that's a nightmare.
0: It kind of reminds me of the fight for women's suffrage because those two ladies just worked their butts off and there was so much infighting and every time they thought they were getting there, some politician pulled it from them and, and eventually, I think they both were dead before women got the right to vote, actually. Susan B. Anthony and the other one, I forget her name. I think it's Candace or something. But I mean, they, they, they powered for this thing for like five decades, you know, 50 right. plus years, then died before it even came to fruition. By the way, this year marks the 100th uh, anniversary of the women's right to vote. Scott, you're so woke lately. It's crazy. Dude, I here's the thing. I just happened to watch a Ken Burns thing on a flight one time about it. And it was like the only thing available to me. So I went, all right, I'll, I'll watch, I'll watch this women's suffrage documentary. And it was kind of fascinating. I mean, yeah, Ken Burns, I'm a sucker for anything. Ken Burns. So it was cool.
1: I like Ken Burns in theory, but it's hard to get me to pay attention for that long. So a flight is the right place to be, to suffer through it. You know, it's like, ah, here's my homework lesson.
0: I know I need it. I know it's good for me. And, uh, I'll take my medicine now that I'm on a flight. Yeah. What about that book though? Are you reading that book? That's a great book between the world and me. Is that what it is?
1: It is. Yeah. Honestly, I put that on my must see moment. Um, okay. Because, because you had sent it to me. Yeah. Um, which I had already read, but should we just go into it now?
0: Yeah, if you want. I mean, I, I'm I'm fascinated by it. I think it's wonderful.
1: Yeah. So the author's name is ta Tanahishi Coates, and the book is called Between the World and Me, and it's um, he's a writer. He's an author, and it's a book basically a memoir that right? he writes. It's a memoir. It certainly is a memoir, but it's written as a note or a letter to his son. Right. So there's no chapters. It's just this one sprawling letter to his son. Um, it's And it's actually a quick read. It's 150 pages about. But I'll just read the uh, leaflet kind of from the jacket because that's probably a better introduction than I can give the book. But it's particularly relevant to um, our current civil rights uh, time that we're going through right now. So basically it says, in a profound work that pivots from the biggest questions about American history and ideals into the most intimate concerns of a father for his son, Tanahishi Coates offers a powerful new framework for understanding the nation's history and current crisis. Americans have built an empire on the idea of, quote, race, a falsehood that damages all of us but falls most heavily on the bodies of black men and women. Bodies exploited through slavery and segregation and today threatened, locked up and murdered out of all proportion. What is it like to inhabit the black body and find out a way to live within it? And how can we all honestly reckon with this fraught history and free ourselves from its burden?
0: Yeah. Does that cover it? That covers it, that covers it. I I was um, a friend of mine sent it to me and said, cause I was like, what do I do? Like, I don't even know what to do. Like as a white man, what do I do? Like, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, you know what? Educate yourself. Here's a book. And I'm like, all right, that's fair. I'll do that. And so, um, and it's just such a great book. I'm really, really enjoying it. And it's the kind of book when I got, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't want to read this, you know? And yeah, cause I'm, you know, I'm just whatever. I want to read civil war shit or whatever, you know, but uh, it's really cool super stoked on it. What did you get? What did you get out of it? Well, the main, a bunch of stuff, right? So it's given me a much broader perspective on, on the black man in America and how he lives and what he sees and what he has to deal with. One of the cool things that, and there are many cool parts in the book, but one of the things that that I thought was neat was when he, um, you know, he went to Howard university and he was educated there and and it's this very famous uh, all, all black college. And, in the process of that, he thought he was going to get a bunch of sort of people seeing things through his prism. And a lot of his professors pushed back and said, Hey man, guess what? Blacks have been selling blacks since, you know, 1300, you know, since before Christ, you know, and like, there's, there's a lot of blame to go around here. It can't just be through this one prism, you know, like, and so I thought that to be kind of fascinating, a fascinating, you know, that he was that honest about it to go, gosh, my, my history professor was like going, Hey, you know, like anyway, yeah, I don't want, again, I'm going to butcher it if I go too deep into this, but you can't go deep enough. It's like
1: the book is so well-written and covers such a vast, uh, um, spectrum of relatability from kind of the messaging to his son, which is goddamn endearing, you know, like yeah. just the fact that it's written in that perspective, Yeah, but then also the race things, um, you'd have to be completely cold and callous to not be able to sympathize with. And I can't empathize because I'm not a black man in America, but I can absolutely sympathize with it. And it absolutely shifts your perspective to understand just when he leaves the house His experience throughout life is different than mine. And this isn't, it's not written in any sort of a way that makes me feel shame or anything like that. It's written in a way that just, that is just enlightening, you know, completely enlightening. And so the book is absolutely beautiful. It is the prose. I mean, it's beautifully written. And um, the other thing I was talking about, the myriad of things that it touches on is as you grow and develop as a human, you have different experiences that open your eyes to different perspectives. And he details a number of his uh, open, op- eye-opening moments throughout his formation and youth and college life that were just really, really relatable. And one of them is um, you know, him feeling like, hey, this is the black experience. And this is, like you said, I'm gonna go to this university and I'm gonna connect with like-minded people. And one of the women that he falls in love with is uh, bisexual. So she's dating men and women. One of the person, the person that she's living with is actually a professor at Howard who is married to a white. She, he's a black professor at Howard. Who's married to a white woman. Who's a professor at Howard. And they're in an open relationship, both sleeping with other people. And so his mind was just blown exploded like wow this woman that i love and that i look up to and she her parents are actually from bangalore and or and in india i think was her mom was from india and like whoa that's wild that's i guess black isn't just this thing it can be that your parents can be from all these different places well what does black even mean at this point point? and then i love her so much and she's so smart and so intelligent then why is she living her life this way oh i guess it God, she has the freedom to sleep with whoever she wants. Like that's different and interesting. And like, not that it's right or wrong or like that he then lived that life. It was just blew his mind open, you know? And so there's so many little details in the book like that are written so poetically and beautifully that you don't agree with or you disagree with. They're just enlightening.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I know that I spent a couple of quarters at UCSD and I remember being at UCSD and being 18 years old. And just having this really, you know, like like just really having the blinders on, you know, and going to UCSD and just having the blinders ripped off and just a whole the whole world of of academia and the huge library and all of the possibilities that all of that stuff stood for. And I I had a, sort of a similar experience like this. Wow, this this world is just wide open and there's just so much more than this little like Southern California coastal hamlet thing that i knew as an 18 year old you know and, and yeah and he certainly um got to experience you know this broad spectrum of, of realities and experiences and it's a great book so i don't want to bore well, the, the other, listeners too much but p- the other consider i'll bore him a little bit consider a little I'll, bore bit. Him.
1: I'll bore him just a little bit more okay the other thing the other thing that i uh, altered my perspective was talking about um the black man kind of going through the world with so much fear and that a lot of the rap culture or the way that the people that he grew up looking at on the street the way that they were dressed was based in fear and the reason why I'm speaking for him our parents hit us was because they were afraid if we went outside without obeying those rules their rules we were going to get shot because by the way my uncle got shot and he died and my My other cousin got shot and he died. And so we've lived with all of these like very, very severe repercussions for behavior because of the way that this society, which by the way, was founded, America escaped oppression so that we could be free to oppress another people. And then those people got released. And so this entire sit, but once they got released, obviously not the whole country didn't exist. Accept that freedom, you know, the abolishment of slavery. So the entire system and structure is built to view this group of people a certain way and to police this group of people and protect this other group of people. And so the pe- group of people that's being policed lives with this level of fear. And so if the kid steps outside of that boundary line, we're going to hit him and we're going to even brandish weapons. And so he talks about an experience of an older kid brandishing the first time he got a gun pulled on was this older kid, but he could see the fear in that kid's eyes. And the reason that kid pulled the gun was out of fear. And, you know, like all of this posturing and all of this is based on fear. That was hugely enlightening to me.
0: Yeah, that, that was incredible. And of course, the sad story of, uh, I believe his name was Prince Jones, but um anyway yeah if, that's right if you're interested please read the book it's if you're yeah. wondering if you're sitting around as a you know an anglo a white it doesn't matter who well i'm just saying you know if you're asking yourself what can you do i think yeah. the answer is a little bit of education goes a long way and perhaps this book is a part of that yeah uh tanahishi
1: coats between the worlds and me you can find it anywhere you can listen to it i'm sure so that was my musty moment. moment. Um, not to uh, pivot too hard back to superficiality, but have you been paying attention to Mason Ho? Did you watch his latest film oh. or his latest edit? Dude, Mason Ho, uh, I don't know where I read this or when I read it, it was a while back, but basically, obviously he's been putting out surf edits and thinking of them in terms of the way that we've always thought of as surf edits. Put out a three to five minute little clip and give people the highlights. After talking to Jamie O'Brien, Jamie was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, I'm getting checks from YouTube for, you know, $8,000 at a time, um, monthly or I don't know how often. I put out this content. They earn enough views and uh, YouTube sells advertising against those that they send me checks. I don't even have to have sponsors. They just send me checks. And he goes, with the amount of views that you're getting, Mason – you should be putting everything on YouTube. Forget about Vimeo. Like, I that model of surf videos on Vimeo for three to four minutes because they're higher quality and there's no advertising, there's no music licensing that you have to worry about. Forget about that. Put it on YouTube where it gets the most amount of views and kids want to be like you, basically. And so, Mason in the last couple of months has been doing that and he's putting long form, they're like 14 minutes. And if Ben Gravy, Is designed for the kid who wants to watch hijinks, but Ben doesn't surf that great. Like you and I aren't going to watch it for Ben's surfing, right? But people watch it for his personality. Jamie O'Brien leans a little too heavily into hijinks, despite the fact that he surfs amazingly well. Mason Ho is the right in the middle guy for you and I, where it'll still entertain the kids who want the hijinks. But his surfing is obviously phenomenal, and he's surfing these novelty waves. We've seen like the rock pile stuff where he's going right over reef, but now in this new one, he's surfing this um, backwashy left that adds a whole new level of thrill for you and I. Mm-hmm. We're just like, we would never paddle out there. We're loving to watch it, but then he somehow makes a bunch of them and gets shacked out of his mind, you know. And he's riding weird boards that are killed. Like it's such good entertainment. Mason Ho is taking over this space for my money and for my time.
0: Yeah. Well, no, for sure. And um, you and I, we, I mean, we can't speak highly enough about the stuff he's been putting out and I look forward to seeing the newest one. I did see a little teaser on it. I haven't clipped on, clicked on it yet, but-
1: It's good, worth watching. Good stuff. Yeah, it's worth watching.
0: Are you concerned at all about the water in Wave pools with the COVID-19. Do you think the COVID-19 can float around in the wave pool water, say at BSR or uh, any of these other facilities, wave garden? Uh, I am not.
1: And not to step on your story, but did I tell you I surfed Palm Springs last week? I saw that on your Instagram. You were with Ryan and Sal, right? Yeah, I was. Um, The COVID thing never entered. I mean, it, it never entered my
0: mind more than it does when I'm going to the grocery store. Well, let me say this, and then I want to hear about your experience. Okay. Um, my friends at Wave Pool Mag, Brian Dickerson, put out a little thing on their email blast, basically saying, look, there's been a study done. Um, the report has only identified one single outbreak in an outdoor environment with the conclusion that sharing indoor space is really where you're going to potentially pick up this Uh, disease, this infection. There's no evidence that COVID-19 can spread to people through water used in pools, hot tubs, or water playgrounds, said the Center for Disease Control. Proper operation and disinfection of pools, hot tubs, and water playgrounds should kill the virus that causes COVID-19. The report added that most of these viruses are not stable in treated water, and even in small amounts of chlorine will kill the microbes. And of course, Wave Garden is very proud of their water filtration system. BSR Surf Resort in Waco installed famously a new water purification system. Um, all of these uh, surf waves, or excuse me, wave parks or wave pools um, have treated water. So I guess my point is, don't be afraid of the COVID-19 in water that's been treated. Good to know glad to hear that report. Um, Tell me about your experience. What did you do? Did you, did you, was this like, sort of like you getting back up on the horse here? Your way, (laughs) your way full experience. No, I've been on the horse since I fell off the horse. Um, You're
1: referencing my poor performance at Kelly Slater's. When was that, by the way?
0: 2017? November. I know it was in November. Yeah. 17. I know.
1: Was it 17? Maybe. Yeah. 17.
0: Three years ago. Weird, right? That, that.
1: Yeah, It's all goes by like a blur now. But um, since that, I went to Enland and I went to Waco probably a year and a half ago now. Um, So by this time, I guess this would be the fourth pool. All of the jitters have faded. Like I honestly went to sleep the night before, no nerves at all. Woke up driving there. I was calm as could possibly
0: be. Um, Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Let me just say this. The thing about wave pools is you just simply don't know when the wave's coming. Like in the ocean, you and I are like, okay, here's a little bump. I've, I see it come in 20 seconds from now. I still get the anxiety when I'm in the wave pool because it's like, even though I know like they make a sound or they ring the bell or you hear the train, it's still like kind of pops up quickly. There's still a moment of anxiety that needs to be overcome. Now go ahead. It's very different than the ocean wave, but- I got used
1: to the wave pool waves already now after four different session or four different experiences, more than four sessions. Um, I know exactly how it's going to do it in the pool now. So the backstory is um, this pool is not open to the public. It should be open to the public. I believe in 2022, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and so at the wet and wild water park, which a group of people purchased they're, they're all the, the crazy thing is all of those slides are all still intact. It's just this abandoned amusement park. But one of the pools they retrofitted with the WaveLock technology. This is Tom Lochtefeld's technology. And they're using it as a test facility to kind of work out all of the, um, the wave's abilities at full scale. But they're going to ultimately demo that pool and build it three times the size. So it's 1 million gallons now. It will be 3 million gallons. And it's going to have twice the number of chambers. So the back of the pool, the chambers that pump out the energy, there's, I think, eight of them currently. It will have 16. And it'll have three times the volume of water. Um, I think the length of ride, I want to say, was 80 feet but that doesn't seem long enough to me now maybe it was 80 yards so the other wave pools they were all um there's a wall and you take off next to the wall and the wave sir you surf towards that wall so wherever you take off let's say it's 15 feet from the wall you're constantly 15 feet away from that wall the entire time so that's not how an actual wave moves down the beach it's very different than an ocean wave this on the other hand operates like a wave moves down the beach so if you're looking at a bird's eye view down on the pool you start in the back right of the pool and you end up at the front left of the pool so you're working a diagonal just like a wave moves down the beach right so the energy is going towards the shore but also towards the The side. typhoon lagoon does that too in orlando there you go Yeah. yeah exactly so um the wave is so sick it was so fun So it's similar to Waco in that there's markings on the wall, depending on which wave you order, you either go sit on that marking or this marking or the other marking. And, um, they tell you exactly what to expect. They're like, look, sit here, start paddling at this point, you know, get up, aim your board this way. There'll be a section in the middle of the pool. Then there'll be an end section coming at you at the end of the pool. And so psychologically, it's a little different than the ocean in, um, way that you have to get used to, which I would say is actually a little detrimental to the surf experience. In the ocean, I'm relying on muscle memory and instinct. I'm invested in my instinct in the ocean. I'm going to catch a wave and I'm going to kind of let the wave dictate what turn I do. Whether I do a drawn out bottom turn, whether I go up to hit the top or do a floater or just race to the end, the wave mandates that. With this you're imposing all of your thought before you actually catch the wave. Before the wave comes, they tell you what it's going to do so you go, "Okay, I'm going to get to my feet and I'm going to pump and then I'm going to try to hit the end section." Well, despite the their best designs, the waves are slightly different in each so it's like you kind of you get up and you start imposing your will and then you realize like, "Oh shoot, I should have Hit the brakes there, and I should have pumped here. And you find yourself off rhythm more often than not. Is because you're trying to. It's like getting up and letting a board find its trim is your best experience. With this, you're automatically imposing your will over the board and over the wave before you even get up and go. So there's an element of that that needs to get sorted out. Um, but that's my only critic. You know what I mean? It's like that's my only criticism, and so that ends up reflecting in you underperforming your potential that you would in the ocean. Like if they have this one barreling wave called the grower, it's like, if this thing came to me in the ocean, I would know exactly how to surf it. But because it's in the pool and they told me all these things to do, I'm relying on all of their information and trying to do what they said, rather than just getting up and doing what I know how to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's an element of that. but You overthought it. I mean, to a degree, but thankfully I had 100 opportunities. So I was able to work it out,
0: you know. So did you finally but, make it?
1: Yeah, I made a couple. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well
1: done. Two out of 100. No, I made I made a number. Of, I made a lot of them, yeah. uh, especially with the barrel. The barrel is like so easy, you know. It was yeah. like literally stand up, aim, and just all you got to do is stand there. Like it's super, super simple. What
0: were you riding?
1: So I got Ryan Harris yeah. from earth technologies made me a pool specific board. He had just, I think this was actually his first batch. He had been designing it and refining it, but this was his first batch that were uh, the pool ninja is what he's calling them. And it worked beautifully from the very first wave I stood up on. I was like, Oh my gosh, this thing is pure magic. And it worked beautifully throughout the whole day. Five, eight, lots of volume. Um, It has a, I guess you would call it a step rail imagine an edge bottom but on the rail so like the the main portion of the deck is super thick and stable but then it kind of cuts down into a thinner rail so like once you get it on rail the board turns really easily but it has a lot of platform in the middle for volume for paddling and just for once you're in the barrel you just it's like super stable and um but then it has a single channel out the bottom. So I wrote it as a thruster and uh, it's five, eight and maneuverable rippable and super stable. I'm going to ride it in the ocean all the time. Like I love it.
0: Yeah. I'm a big fan. Ryan Harris. He's like the hardest working guy in surf, man. That guy's constantly grinding. Dude,
1: he's up. I'm getting messages from him at 7 a.m. from the factory and at 9 p.m.
0: from the factory. I know, I know. Like, he works hard. I actually sent him, I sent him that book. I sent him a link to that book. Had he read it? I don't know. He never got back to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's busy. They're <laughs>
1: launching. Uh, by the way, he and um, Sal and Hunter Jones, who's a pro surfer out of the South Bay, he was there with us that day, and a woman named Daniel Black Lions. Uh, founded this thing called one planet, one people, which is a resource for information about, um, you know, where to, where to kind of get information and send your money for racial diversity in the surf world.
0: Why is Hunter Jones like? a, a pro surfer? Like why is he a Does, pro surfer? He has sponsors that pay him money All right. to surf. All right. Never heard of him. <laughs>
1: do, you, do you watch the bachelor? Is he on the bachelor? He was on The Bachelorette. Oh. Like as one of the male contestants that the woman is vying for. Um, and I think he got booed. I don't watch the show, but when that sure, happened, pal. I remember.
0: I know you watch <laughs> that show. Don't bullshit me. You're watching I mean, it's that- on Wednesday
1: nights at nine o'clock but, uh, on ABC, but I don't watch that show.
0: I know your girl uh, watches it, so you're forced to watch it because she watches it.
1: Dude, we don't even have network TV. Honestly, I couldn't watch ABC if I tried.
0: Oh. All right. You know?
1: Uh, but well, I think he I'll got I'll tell booted you what out. happens then tell me i I'll, I'll
0: watch it, and I'll tell you what happens. Uh, okay.
1: I think he no he was already it was like last season or the season before. I think he got booted uh, in the first round
0: of dismissals. Why do his why do his sponsors pay him money? does he is he an Instagram guy? Does he have like four hundred thousand followers because of this show that The Bachelorette?
1: Yeah, I don't know if he has four hundred thousand. That'd be a huge number, but um, let me see. I could look it up right now. He has twenty six thousand, so not a ton, but oh, you know what? He was running social media for the WSL and doing some of their surf break stuff. I know he was doing that. Oh, I've seen this guy. Yeah, yeah, I know who
0: this guy is. Yeah.
1: So I don't know if he's still doing those things, um, but, but I think he would be a good—he'd be a good fit for the Ultimate Surfer, their reality show that they're going to do next month.
0: Is he in? Is he in there? Is he one of the guys? Know. It sounds like he knows something. No-
1: I'm just saying he'd be a good
0: fit. So right now they're they're filming that thing, right? Right now? They're like they, starting they're, in July. They got a guy and a girl. Is it just a guy and a girl? Or is it like five guys and five girls or something like that?
1: I don't know the numbers, but it's a group of guys and a group of girls. Yeah. Are you going to watch
0: that show? Heck yeah. <laughs> I know. I actually might watch that show. <laughs> I watch a similar <laughs> show um, in the golf world where they bring like these wannabe golfers out And they compete for a chance to go on the pro tour. So it can be kind of fascinating. What where does that air? On the golf channel. Is it what's the format? Like a 30-minute reality show? Yeah, it might be 30, it might be an hour, but it's yeah, it's it's kind of like Survivor, but with golf. Is it centered around the dramas of the house or more around Uh, the actual competition? Competition.
1: The competition, yeah. Because that's that is the crux of this if they center it around competition, then the right home for it would be on the WSL's website or YouTube because you and I care about surfing competition, but it's on ABC, which makes me think it's going to center around drama in the house. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, at any rate, Scott, uh, this show as always, of course, is brought to you by neat essentials. Yeah. And, and we rarely, I mean, we always reference them, but here's some hard facts. For listeners, um, they've made an investment in their premium thermal suits. These are they're available in two two, three two, and four threes. These are updates to the original steamers. They're built using this latest and greatest limestone-based i foam for the steamers. The previous version were the best in class at the time, which was v foam, uh, but this newer foam is of course lighter, more flexible warmer. They're also fast drying. So it's a thermal lined portion of the suit. Basically, it's an upgrade to the regular suits now have a better quality foam. So these are all the new neat essentials, premium thermal steamers, two, two, three, two, four, threes, new suits, lightweight, maximum flexibility. Um, The warmer suits are still available as well, but these are kind of the the go-to everyday suit. So go grab those, neatessentials.com. Also, the 1.5 millimeter jackets are back in stock. The board shorts are almost sold out. So add on a jacket, add on the board shorts to your wetsuit order, um, because those things are flying and they're going to be sold out soon. I need a restock, um, Dude, the restock isn't coming till mid-July. So you'll be out for a few weeks. So get
0: them now. If I go there right now, will I be able to score, you think? Yeah, I think you should be able to. go in going there right now. I need a new jacket. Really <coughs> really Needessentials.com. Needessentialsusa.com USA.com is what I just clicked on. Well, need if you're, in the US, US, if you're
1: in if in, you're in the US, it'll redirect you to that one. I see. Uh, even if you go to Needessentials.com so that it ships from the right location rather than shipping across the ocean.
0: Right. But at any rate, thanks, thanks to Need hey, Essentials. You know what I was thinking? It. I was thinking. I was listening to the new Dan Carlin podcast, um, "Super Eve, Supernova in the East," four, part four. And at the end of his podcast, he's like, "A dollar an episode. That's all we ask. That's what all David and Scott ask. A dollar an episode. So if you feel like what you've listened to today from David and Scott is worth a buck, we have a we have a donate link, don't we? And where would where would they find that donate link? Spitpodcast.com. So go to spitpodcast.com and donate a dollar each? No, 50 cents each? No, a buck an episode. Four bucks a month. Buck an episode. You know what? Five bucks a month. Just up it
1: to five bucks, call it even. Five bucks You won't even notice it missing from your account.
0: Yeah, five bucks a month. That's what we're saying. If if you feel like it's worth it. Because I know that David and I put some time into this thing.
1: By the way, so Dan Carlin, um, you... It's not, you don't have to pay to listen. It's just, uh, you can donate if you want. Right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Does he have sponsors? Um. No. Okay. No, he doesn't. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, he puts, God, so much work into that. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. You of- for our Australian listeners, he hasn't come out with episode five yet, but it's going to Focus completely on the Australian soldier during World War II and what they had to do to deal with Papua New Guinea as the Japanese um, were sort of going at it. So I'm looking forward to episode number five, but probably not going to come out for three or four months. That guy's a kingpin, man. He is.
1: Hey, well, considering he we puts one out every four or five months, then our workload's actually probably pretty similar because we're going weekly and there's hours wrapped up into each week for us. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Right. If you added it all up, it'd be the same workload. California Gold Surf Auction is taking place. Uh the bidding begins July 25th. Now, July 8th, and about eight days from now, nine days from now, you'll be able to start looking at the previews of all the boards. All the boards will be available for preview. You can begin bidding July 25th. The bidding closes Saturday, August 8th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we've got 60 plus boards there for you to uh, check out and peruse. CaliforniaGoldSurfAuction.com And at Boardroom Show's Instagram, you've been posting uh, some of the boards that'll be up for auction. Yeah, absolutely. We've been trying to go at it here and get get some of the boards up. Little teasers, little sneak peeks, you know. Yep. yep. Well, I've given you my
1: must-see moment, uh, which is the book *Between the World and Me*, and my Duke this week is none other none other than Shane Dorian for raising Jackson Dorian. <laughs> this kid, this kid. I was gonna call this kid the Duke, but I'm like, no. He had, I mean, the benefit of being born into. The most well-rounded, um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of great fathers that are loving fathers. Shane Dorian has the resources and the time and the skill set to take you around the world all year long, hunting, surfing, skating. You live in Hawaii. I mean, this kid was born into the greatest fortune of all time. Um and Shane seems like such a good dad. Like, I don't know. I've never once sensed that Shane is forcing Jackson to do anything at all. And I think Shane has said as much when he was being interviewed about it years ago when Jackson first started getting into some of this stuff. But Jackson is this unbelievable talent. I don't know how old he is, 10 or something.
0: What's that? He's a little older than 10, yeah. But he looks a small, he's a little bit small in stature, I think.
1: And he's benefited from Kelly Slater being his uncle. So he was surfing surf ranch when he was eight years old, but now he's in this last week. The reason why I bring it up is he posted some clips from Waco this past week, um, surfing in the wave pool, doing the craziest airs like full backside airs, crazy grabs on the front side. um, Super stylish, tons of loft, tons of pop, like fast rotation, like insane stuff. So Jackson Dorian is killing it and this is i think we're at a moment now where we're going oh my gosh wave pools the ability to go out and practice that trick over and over and over again plus jackson's experience skating in a half pipe and being able to kind of work out the rotations on land is next level gonna be next level like it felipe toledo is so yesterday already because jackson (laughs) Is banging it out in the wave pool. Let
0: me ask you this. In the world of what we consider new, pro surfing now, no competition, just pro surfers exist on Instagram and that's it. Who's a bigger pro than Jackson Dorian? Is is Kalani Rob lesser nope. or more of a pro? Lesser. Okay. Is uh, Laird Hamilton more or less of a pro?
1: I would say Laird's more currently. This is based on I'm my criteria for answering these questions is how much money do you earn by being a surfer? And I'm saying Laird earns more than Jackson currently.
0: But uh, I, Jackson earns more. I don't, well, more I don't more. want to know, I don't want to know about money. I want to know who's, you have to have some criteria well, for the, here's the criteria. Here's the criteria. The criteria is who's in your wheelhouse the most. Like when you're on your phone, if this is the idea of what a pro surfer is, is me and you going on Instagram and just geeking out, right? That's no, right.
1: that's
0: not my criteria. That's it's who's in my
1: awareness most. It isn't? No, <laughs> because the people that like my close friends are in my feed more than anybody. And well, that's my point.
0: Well, okay, but they don't make money on it. But um, my point is, is that pro surfers, if all it is, is they show up here every time I pull up, who's a bigger yeah, pro? Who's a bigger pro? My point-
1: But your criteria is flawed because Instagram's feeding me a specific algorithm to me based on who I like and who I have friendships with. So my friends get fed to me with higher frequency than strangers do. But I'm going to use pro meaning professional, meaning you're earning a money doing this thing. That is the definition of professional. And Laird
0: makes more than Jackson. Kalani Robb's is making more than Jackson. I don't think so. Who's paying Kalani? I don't know. Who's paying Nobody. who's paying Jackson? Billabong. Guys getting some dope. All right, yeah, so if it's is. just based on money, I'm I kind of am, I'm trying to figure out I I'm, I'm going to have to wrap my head around this, but my point is is that whoever shows up on this thing, granted there's an algorithm, whoever shows up on my phone is a professional surfer. Like you're spending time They're just not or maybe you're That's not, but not true. Okay, well, again, I'm wrapping, I'm wrapping <laughs> my head around it. By the way, I would tell you, I, I don't know Shane Dorian very well. I've spent a little bit of time with him. He would he would say, "Hey, his Jackson's mom gets some of the credit here." Uh, I don't even know her name. I don't think I've ever even seen her. Which which speaks even better to why we love the Dorian clan because yeah. he's smart enough to keep everything off the radar. Yep, I agree good call okay my musty moment is the guy who caught the shark off of Delaware just some like studly strong guy wrestles the shark in three feet of water prize its jaws open I think he might have even taken a fish hook or a net or something out of its mouth showed it off to all the gawking walkers on the beach just a mere 10 feet away and three feet of water that's my musty moment I just saw I saw it I don't know I saw it probably three or four days ago but it's up on beach grid as well here and um, I mentioned my Duke is Jack Robinson. And um, my kook, I don't have a kook, man. Everyone's Good. cool, bro. Good for you. Yeah, man. Uh, what surfboard did you ride today? The Ryan Sacle Sabre, my twin fin. With the with Sea drive na- NVS fins, the naked Viking surf fins. Can't get off I'm, it. I'm not taking those things out of my board. I love those Good fins. for you. Yeah. Good for you. Right on, Scott. Well, glad to have you back in good health. Yes, glad to be back in good health. Thanks for your patience with me last week. And until next week, adios and aloha.